This is the Shift Podcast. Coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast, we speak with Cindy Gallup, the Michael Bay of business, about the business world, how to rise up, and women in the workplace. And how long has it been since you've been on a plane? We welcome travel expert Claire Newell to talk about travel in the current state of the pandemic. And on the technological world with Blaine Kylo, Blaine talks about Halo Infinite, Bungie's 30th anniversary, and a Lego game that will only be on Apple Arcade. This is the Shift Podcast. And one of the things that the pandemic uh, has given us that I think is going to have lasting long-term effects is this disruption to the way that we work. Uh, Perhaps you've heard things like the Great Resignation. Uh, Perhaps you've heard statistics about how uh, there are literally millions of unfilled job positions in our country. And perhaps you yourself are going through something of a career change or a reinvention, and you're wrestling with uh, some questions around that, like, How do I know how much money I should ask for uh, in my interview? How do I negotiate those things? How do I know my worth? And uh, joining me now is Cindy Gallup. And Cindy is a uh, speaker, coach, uh, business expert. She considers herself, and I love this tagline, the Michael Bay of business. And we will get into that in a, why she calls herself that in a second. She's spoken at TED, at TEDx conferences and stuff. This is her area of expertise. And there's a very good reason why I wanted to talk to her about, uh, these things like reinventing and knowing your worth and negotiating and how to, uh, find that perfect position for you. But also because she does a lot of stuff that focuses on uh, women in the workplace. And uh, Cindy, I wanted to share with you that that is a big reason why I wanted to talk to you because I myself have a five-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter. Oh my God, congratulations. Thank you. So I was scrolling Twitter and I saw this tweet and immediately knew I had to dig a little bit deeper on this tweet. And so I'm just going to read it for our audience who might not have seen it. So the New York Times posted a story about a bank CEO who wanted a raise from $17 million to $2 billion. And then you responded to that tweet saying, ladies, when I tell you, you need to ask for the highest amount you can say out loud without actually bursting out laughing and also ask yourself in any negotiation, WWSWGD, What would a straight white guy do? Remember this perfect storm of both and do it. And I I latched onto that for so many reasons. First, because I want to dig deeper in how I can know my worth, but also because I have these two young girls who I'm looking at the world and putting everything through this filter of what things are going to be like for them growing up. And I love the idea, but anytime I get in a room with somebody and it's about negotiation, and I think a lot of people are going through career change and life change right now, it just feels so intimidating. And so I want to ask for what I feel like I'm worth, but I also don't want to lose this opportunity. So how do you find that balance? Sure. So, um, so I'm delighted you reached out, um, by the way, Scott, and You know, um, I would encourage you to think about your negotiation scenario a little differently because I'm a great fan of be your own filter. And 
what I mean by that is it, it's enormously important for every one of us to basically, you know, put out into the world what we stand for, what we're all about and what we're worth. Because, by the way, people value you at the value you are seen to put, put on yourself. Now, you know, I'll, I'll give you my own example of how I operate this philosophy of be your own filter. So um, you mentioned when you reached out to me that you liked my Twitter bio line, which is also mm -hmm. my, my bio line across LinkedIn and every other social channel. And um, um, for the benefit of our listeners, you know, my Twitter bio is I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. Right. Now, now I, I sum up my approach to, you know, my consultancy work, my public speaking, my entrepreneurial ventures in that way, not as a bit of whimsy or a bit of creativity or a bit of fun. I use that phrase entirely deliberately because when I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do and it repels the ones who don't. Mm. And I want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort, and money. So it's very simple, Scott. Be your own filter, okay? Know your own value. Ask for it. Because if they respond to it in the right kind of way, they are your people. They are your new employer. And if they don't, they're not. It's that simple. And I have to tell you that, you know, I've been giving women um, that advice, you know, that the, the number you ask for is always the highest number you can say out loud without actually bursting out laughing. I've been giving that advice for literally decades. And I can tell you that every week, um, a woman, you know, somewhere, you know, on email, you know, on social, in a message on LinkedIn, writes to me and says, Oh, my God, Cindy, I did it, it worked. You know, oh, that's so and, great. and often the messages are, you know, I was in fear and trembling, didn't know whether I dared, you know, I thought of you, I went in there, and I got it. You know, I think the last message, um, I think a woman tweeted at me um, relatively recently and said, you know, I remember what you said, and, you know, she was a freelancer, and she said, you know, I just got 50% more than my usual rate because I did that. So trust me, it works. That is so encouraging to hear. Who of us doesn't want to get more? And I think for a lot of people, we do know our worth or we have some idea of what we're worth. It's such an interesting time out there. I feel like so many people are in transition. But to the point that you made about the people who reach out to you and stuff, we get so nervous, you know, we get so afraid, fear, like sort of fear and trembling, like you say, when we go into these meetings, is there something that you do to, to counteract that and to uh, bring in this air of confidence? Well, um, so, um, uh, so a couple of things to that, Scott. First of all, nobody should be at all nervous going into, you know, um, an interview or a negotiation because right now, um, you are on the right side of the table in that negotiation because of, as we've all heard, the great resignation. Mm -hmm. you know? so, um, so basically, talent is being sought after in every sector, you know, no exceptions. So this is absolutely your market. So, so again, know your worth. And then, um, you know, and, and by the way, Scott, you know, I love that we're having this conversation because to be frank, I normally say all of these things to audiences of women. And mm -hmm. I coach women, especially, you know, in, in this kind of scenario. Um, and so the next piece of advice I'm going to give you is, is, is phrased as I give it to women. Sure. But, 
but, but, but I think it's also worth your hearing it because what I say to women is I want you to bullshit like the men do. Mm. And, and I say to women, you know, I'm, uh, I, I articulate it like that entirely deliberately. Okay. I want you to literally think to yourself, I am now going to start bullshitting and I want you to bullshit. And the reason I feel very comfortable telling you to do that, I say to women, is because it doesn't matter how much you think you're bullshitting, you will never ever bullshit at the level men do. Hmm. When you think you're bullshitting, all you're doing is you are finally talking about your accomplishments, your achievements and your talents in a way that does yourself justice. And so I would say the same thing to you as well, which is because obviously there are also men who have trouble bullshitting like other men do. Certainly. And so, and, and so the key thing is absolutely talk up your value to the business. And, um, and I'll give you an, an, another piece of advice. Um, so, um, so this is advice that I normally give to anybody who is looking to climb the career ladder within their existing job, existing company um, uh, role. Um, but it's also advice that absolutely applies to when you are looking for a new job or role. So I'm a big fan of radical simplicity. I like to keep things very simple. There is one single thing that when you do it will propel you up the career ladder faster than anything else. There is one thing that will turbocharge your ascent into the C-suite of any company. And it's very simply this understand how your company makes money and recommend ways to make more money hmm. that's it so when you are applying for a role for a job um or when you have decided you want to work at a particular company understand how that company makes money and recommend the ways in which you can help them make more money there is nobody who will not take that call that is perhaps, and it, it feels like so, so simple, but it just, that might be the best advice in this, in this regard that I've ever heard. And Cindy, I just, I love uh, your confidence and I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you too. Like I said, I'm, I'm putting these things through this filter of um, my daughters and what their future is going to be like, of course. But like I said, when I read your tweet and then started to dig a little bit deeper into your bio, I knew that there was stuff here that I could, that I could absorb. And absolutely, I resonated with your tagline right away. I'm a huge movie fan. You like to blow shit up. And it sort of seems there's this um, market for dramatically rethinking the way that things have been done for so long. It's like, this is how we do business. This is how we operate. And we're just going to operate. Uh, you said, I don't do status quo, which again, I love. Why, why is it so hard to shift thinking away from the status quo? I have found that because I've heard this, these sort of things before, like dream big, no bad ideas, just say it all out, blue sky and stuff. And I've had ideas and they often end up just saying like, well, yeah, but that doesn't really fit or that's not how we do things here. I heard that one a lot. That's not how we do things here. And people talk about change, but people seem less open to making change. So, um, so Scott, you just said you're a movie fan. So I'm going to tell you why um, you have not been able to break out of the status quo 
that's because you're in the matrix and you haven't woken up and seen the matrix. Mm. Okay? And, and I, I literally, by the way, use that analogy um, regularly because, um, and again, um, I'm going to use an example that is um, especially for women, although it absolutely also is something men need to be aware of, um, to give you a sense of why I say to people, flip the lens, okay? See the matrix what it is because then you know what you can do to get yourself out of it. So um, my friend, Thomas Hamara Pramuzic, wrote the single most read Harvard Business Review article of all time, okay? He wrote it back in 2013, eight years ago, and it is called, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? Mm, okay. And in this article, Thomas's premise is, he says, we focus quite rightly on the many obstacles faced by brilliant women, but a far bigger problem is a lack of obstacles for incompetent men. Right. And that's the way to look at that issue. Okay. And that's what I mean by flip the lens. Okay. Um, you know, to, um, uh, I mean, another example I use is, again, especially I'm talking to women, is, you know, as women, um, we are so often given the advice of, okay, if you want to, you know, succeed in business, you know, you've got to, you've got to operate more like men do, you know, for example, you know, stop saying sorry so often, take the word sorry out of your vocabulary. And I completely disagree with that point because my perspective is, you know, stop telling women to say sorry less, tell men to say sorry a whole lot more. Hmm. Because we would all be working in a much happier business world and a much happier world at large if instead of encouraging women to stop saying sorry, men just said sorry all the time instead. Okay, so, so that's what I mean by, by, by flip the lens. And so, you know, um, when you talk about breaking out of the status quo on your job search, um, here's something, again, that I advise people a lot, um, which is really important. Don't, don't think that you have to apply for a job, okay? Um, create your own job. And, and what I mean by that is, um, I encourage people to, first of all, you know, identify a short list of the companies that you want to go and work for, <clears throat> okay? And I say short list, um, you know, to, um, I recommend maybe five or six top contenders of where you want to work. Um, short list because, what you then need to do is you need to research the hell out of those companies, okay? And you need to identify exactly what their business situation is, you know, what their goals are, how far short they're falling of them, you know, where they're struggling, because you want to create your own role, okay? Don't wait for a job to come free at that company and then try and fit yourself into it. Look at that company and go, you know, what could I do for this company that if they gave me that role, I could make them more money, hmm. okay? Um, so you research the hell out of that and you literally write your own job spec, okay? You create, and, and, and by the way, that job may not exist at the company currently because they've never thought about it like that. But you basically create your own job so that you can say to the company, when you hire me into this role that you don't have yet that you badly need, here is how much money I'll make for you. You then do your research to find the person in whose gift is that job, okay? okay. So you, you search the hell out of the personnel of that company 
to find the person in whose power it is to give you that job. And, and by the way, you know, um, the, the person's power um, who has the power to give you that job is not necessarily always the most obvious one. Okay, okay. it's not necessarily a straight line. Uh, you know, so so really do your research. And then what you want to do is you want to creatively ambush that person with your application. Okay. okay? So so you absolutely do not, you know, send in the resume. You know, you you research more about that person and you find a way to literally, as I said, creatively ambush them with something that brings home to them how brilliant you would be in this role that you are telling them they need to interview for. Okay, and um, and I'm a big fan of communication through demonstration. Okay, make your application be what you say you are. And and, and I'll give you an example. I mean, from um, and this example is is from quite a long time ago, but 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 it's a good example what I mean. So many years ago, um, uh, a gentleman reached out to me. Um, We had a friend in common, I believe, and he had just been laid off from his job. And he reached out to me because he wanted me to help him, you know, find another job. And so he, you know, emailed me and he said, um, and again, this is many years ago, but um, so this is when this is the buzzword of the moment. He went, you know, so I, I operate at the cutting edge of mobile. Okay. I mean, this is when mobile technology was only, you know, just starting to take off. So I'm all about mobile this, mobile that. You know, I'm, I'm totally future forward, I'm innovative, I'm disruptive, and I want a role that allows me, you know, to leverage all of this in mobile. And so I emailed him back and I went, um, so if you operate at the cutting edge of mobile, why did you send me your resume as a three-page Word document? Mm. If you operate at the cutting edge of mobile, you know, um, we have a mutual friend who's given you my contact details, you have my phone number. Why, why did you not manifest as a cutting edge mobile app as something in why did you not creatively demonstrate to me in the way you presented your accomplishments that you are what you say you are communication through demonstration right so, so that, that creatively ambush the person um, in whose gift this role you want is and in the way you do that demonstrate how brilliant you are at doing what you say you are in a way that make them go bloody hell got to interview this person now This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, I haven't been on an airplane in like over two years. And that's actually kind of funny thing to say because I think uh, generations ago it was like you'd go on a on an airplane like w- once or twice in your lifetime. But flying is very commonplace, uh, especially in, in my life. My wife works in travel and so we would fly quite a bit. And I haven't been on an airplane in over two years. And I was scrolling through Instagram the other day And I saw a photo of LaGuardia Airport in New York City, and it almost gave me a panic attack because it was just filled with people lined up to go through security and figure out where to get a test and uh, get their bags checked. And, you know, it's mayhem. It's mayhem. The airport can be a real stressful thing for me, especially around the holidays. And now you have the pandemic and all these people that haven't been on planes in forever. So uh, we wanted to bring on travel expert Claire Newell from Travel Best Bets. Now, I haven't been on an airplane in like two years, Claire, but I'm sure for you it's been a lot more recent than that. I have to tell you, I've traveled a lot over the past six weeks. I've been to Arizona. I've been to California. I've been to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Um, 
and I'm really organized and I live and be- breathe the travel industry. And I found it myself, the first, especially the first trip, quite daunting, but add in lines and busy flights and it just does add a whole layer uh, of panic. One of the things that is, um, you know, tough for a lot of people is the fact that they've had a lot of changes maybe to their itineraries and they potentially have had uh, a lot of changes to the rules or they've heard about it and they they may or may not know exactly what's happened. But let me give you a couple of the, the, you know, the most important ones that have happened recently. And one is if you were flying to the United States, you need to be fully vaccinated and you need to have uh, an antigen test done. That's the rapid one. You can get the results within 15 to 20 minutes. Now, up until about a week ago, you could do that within 72 hours. That's changed. It's now within 24 hours. So if you have organized your trip over the holidays and you've got all your ducks in a row and you've made your appointment for that antigen test, you may need to move it because if it's not within that 24 hour window, you will be denied boarding. Um, The other thing that's been tough for a lot of people, and I just heard um, that travelers may be able to skip using the Arrive Can app. So you need this when you're driving back into Canada or you're flying back into Canada. And it's been quite cumbersome. A lot of people have really complained that the system crashed. Some seniors complained because they don't have cell phones. Others were unable to use it because of poor cell coverage and they weren't able to have it all done. And they were actually denied boarding if they were flying back or they were actually turned around at the land borders. So now Canada border services agents are going to be allowing travelers to provide similar information that that would be asked through that app. If you've never used it, you don't know what I'm talking about, but there's all sorts of questions that are on there about what time you're coming in. Um, You upload your vaccine records. You also make sure that you have adequate place to quarantine if you need to do it. Now I have one more for you. (laughs) That is that, um, you know, it, I think it's been been widely spread in media that any Canadians traveling back to Canada, regardless of where you're coming from, if you're flying in, you need to have a PCR test done at your expense within 72 hours of flying back into Canada. You can actually have a couple of other tests. An RT lamp is one that's really popular, as well as the PCR, but it has to be a molecular test. These are the expensive ones. They take 24 to 48 hours to get the results back. And what we now know is because of the Omicron variant of concern, people coming into one of the 18 airports that are now accepting international travelers across this country as of November 30th, now may need to have a PCR test when they land as well it won't be at their expense but it just adds another you know lineup right or a bit of a hassle but um you know it it wouldn't stop me i just came back i landed last night from california uh there i saw all of the the area where people will do those right now you're seeing it anyway. You're seeing one in 15 or one in 20 people randomly checked. Mm-hmm. This is just going to add more. Right now, the results are coming back in about 24 hours. So you can expect with that increase, especially over the holiday season, of everyone needing to have that, it could you know, increase you staying self-isolated until you get the negative uh, results from the test that when you land. 
Okay. So you get that. It could be 24 to 48 hours is what I would suspect. In fact, the government though, to make this even more, a little bit confusing is you may actually be handed a self-administered kit that you do with a, a someone from a telehealth mm-hmm. uh, and take it home and then um, send it in. So that could, if, if the airports are getting busy and congested with administering those PCR tests, they may actually um, give people the choice to take the in-home test. Okay. So that is a ton of information and a ton of stuff there. But so you, you touched on a couple of things and I've sort of heard this talked about as all the sort of rules keep changing. And like you say, you saw the space where these tests are going to be um, conducted and stuff. Uh, so one of the things that people have brought up is, isn't this just going to create Isn't this going to make the line problem in airports infinitely worse? Um, Is that something that you in your recent travels have seen? Is that something you're expecting? Like if people have, you know, a trip booked uh, across the country, even within Canada later this month, should we just expect that airports are going to be an absolute madhouse? Well, they're always a bit of a madhouse over the holidays. We had, you know, the holidays during COVID, of course, they were dead. But the reality is, is that we saw a real travel rebound um, over the past few months until the Omicron variant of concern really took the wind out of the sails. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of people who are not changing their plans. They're going ahead with travel. They're just going to take the precautions. I happen to be one of those people. Uh, I'm not changing my plans. There, there's kind of three groups of people we're seeing. We're pe- seeing the people who will go like me. We'll see the people who want to change their dates and there'll be the people who want to cancel, but whichever group you fall into if you are traveling especially over the holidays give yourself lots of extra time so i went to the airport on thursday last week so december the 2nd flying to california it was not over the holidays and i gave myself two hours and i probably had maybe 20 minutes grace before boarding yeah so however coming back last night there was no other aircraft landing at the same time. I have a Nexus card. My colleague who doesn't was just going through customs back into Canada. And she and I got through both at the same speed. So it really depends on, you know, what time of the day you're leaving. So I'm a, I'm a fan of grabbing a Starbucks or a Timmy's once you're through and settled. But I, the, what I hate is that um, that sense of rush and panic and stress that is unnecessary if you give yourself enough time. And the holidays, um, especially if you're getting your COVID test at the airport, because they've made it convenient, you can do that at YBR. You can actually make the appointments online at YBR. Okay. Um, and it, it makes it just, you need an extra hour in addition to when you would normally check in. Okay. Good to know. And now there's a question that has come up uh, between sort of me and some colleagues and friends and stuff, because I do have some friends who are uh, traveling this week and I'm traveling in the new year. And I know other people who are you know, planning you know, to be on an airplane for the first time in maybe up to two years. Um, we always see these videos of confrontations, you know, whether it's in an airport or on an airplane or just, and you know what I'm talking about, the people who don't want to wear a mask, that type of thing. And that gives me a great amount of panic as well. If I'm on an airplane, maybe with my family and one of these people or one, something happens. Um, Can you speak either to 
maybe the regularity or irregularity or frequency of that happening, like how likely is that? And then also like, let's just cut, lay a very clear uh, sort of plan as to what we should do if we kind of encounter any of that. Yeah. So that's a really good question because we hear of so many cases and it being becoming much more rampant than it's ever been in the past. You know, there's, and you add in the holiday stress of it. So, you know, it is, it, it, I get it. I understand the angst and the worry about mm-hmm. it, but I can tell you that having done six flights, I never saw any of that. I did speak to the in-flight crew on every flight, all six flights I went on. And there was the odd flight attendant who had experienced it. But what I did notice was that whether I was on WestJet or Canada, which were the two airlines that I've flown over the past six weeks, that they make very clear announcements. They're really good about it and say, you know, we ask that. And and there are people who maybe forget once they've eaten or had something to drink to put it up. Um, but if they're tapped on the shoulder or just asked by the flight attendant, they, they very quickly put it up. If you do run into an incident um, and it's frightening you for two reasons, one, you don't want to get involved in there to be some sort of a, like a brawl on the plane, stay calm, just, uh, you know, don't make eye contact, get a flight attendant involved as quickly as possible. Let the professionals deal with it, right? Let the professionals deal with it. But also remember the other thing that you might be afraid of is them, you know, not having their mask on and you potentially getting sick. You take care of yourself. You make sure you're wearing the mask. You sanitize your area, your part of the world, whether it's, and I do everything. Okay. I'm a complete germaphobe on a plane. And I always have been way before COVID. I'm not in normal life, Scott. I really am not, but you know, every inch is of the armrest, the tray table, the, even the the fan above that I, and and my belt, the seatbelt, I'm doing it all. So you just, you, when you're traveling, you focus on you yourself, you wearing the mask and you sanitizing, socially distancing, do whatever you need to do. Yeah. You would uh, get along very well with my wife. She wipes down everything <laughs> like multiple times throughout the flight, but it's good. I mean, it, I'm not, I wasn't like that. And she has made me a little bit more like that. Okay. And now finally, uh, I have some friends who are, like I mentioned earlier, they're actually going to Mexico later this week. And there, this is the first time I've heard of this happening. Their resort is uh, taking care of the fees for the PCR test for them to return home. So I wanted to ask you about what kind of things like that are are out there right now. One of the things that I have noticed, and this was um, actually came out yesterday, and it's according to data compiled by Bloomberg, but when the Omicron variant came out that very week, within one week of that announcement, uh, the airlines worldwide cut out 151,000 flights between November the 24th and February 1st. Oh my gosh. So if you think about that worldwide supply and demand, I do like the fact that your the your friends are getting their PCR test taken care of on site. That's fantastic. We're starting to see yesterday I actually was on site in Anaheim for the announcement of a brand new COVID clinic at the Anaheim Hotel for any visitors. They, they too will be able to get a free test. I've heard Manhattan is offering them for anyone who's heading to New York. Um, Cuba's doing them for 30 bucks. But it's a, you know, to, they know that that 149 US dollar PCR test is price prohibitive for many, many families. You bet. Yeah. You, yeah. So um, any areas that really, really want us as Canadian tourists to go down they're making it or starting at least to make it uh, a bit more accessible. 
Okay. So like one less barrier, one less thing you're going to have to worry about if the place you're going to is going to help you kind of take care of that. Well, wow. What a crazy time. What a crazy couple of years it has been. And it feels like it's going to be uh, some crazy things that we still have to navigate. But um, I'm very glad that we have people like you to sort of help us get through it because, you know, I cannot wait to get back on an airplane and to travel and, you know, to see the people that I haven't seen and to go to the places and do the trips that were canceled, you know, two years ago and stuff. So um, thank you so much, Claire. And uh, as things develop, I'd love to, to talk again, you know, so really appreciate yeah, Scott, it. Yeah, Scott, anytime. It is a, it's a lot to unpack. Totally. Um, I, and I hope for everyone's sake that they too can put on a, 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 some travel plans. I would just say this. Uh, if you see a deal and you want to take advantage of it, please make sure that you're booking and the, f- the terms are flexible so that the terms and conditions don't leave you holding the bag if things change. Because one thing that we know is that things change with right. COVID and they can change really, really quickly. If you do have something that is um, like a non-refundable portion of a trip that has to be put down, maybe look at getting travel insurance that will protect you for that non-refundable portion as well as of course some sort of travel emergency including COVID-19. Fantastic. Claire Newell Travel Best Bets is the website. Uh, Thank you so much Claire. We'll talk again soon. Thanks Scott. This is the Shift Podcast. It's the technological world with Blaine Kylo. Okay, let's get into it, Brent, uh, Blaine. See, I'm already doing it. Let's get into it. Uh, it's a big, big day in gaming, isn't it? Well, yeah, because we've been waiting for five years for a new Halo game, and Wednesday is the day that the campaign part of Halo Infinite was released. And I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't had hands-on with this campaign. I haven't had a chance to play the story yet, but reviews from some of the major outlets started hitting on Monday and by all measures, uh, three, four, three industries, which is responsible for making the halo games these days. They've knocked one out of the park here with this one. Um, they are delivering an experience that people say calls back to what made the first game so compelling while introducing a few new things to the franchise that have become kind of commonplace in the game space. And I think Brendan has a clip for us. This is my world now. Humanity will be all but a memory. This ring will be operational. The banished are planning to fire this ring. We need help, not heroics. We protect humanity, whatever the cost. But this wasn't the mission. The mission's changed. They always do. You have one bullet against an entire army. It's enough. Oof, that sounds awesome. Well, we're playing as the Master Chief, John 117, Spartan soldier extraordinaire. 
and he's kind of been the protagonist all along. Now, Halo is so much more than just a first-person shooter. And in fact, Atriox, who's the main antagonist in this game, didn't even come out of the mainline Halo games. He actually came out of a real-time strategy Halo game called Halo Wars. Okay. And so... 343 Industries is is sort of calling that this is finishing the fight. And really, Halo Infinite is pulling together all of the different parts of Halo that have kind of existed in 20 years and pulling them all together in this one big package. The big thing that's different from any Halo game before is we have an open world environment that we can explore. And that's the one thing that is really making this game different because before Halo was just a fairly linear, you go through set piece to set piece to set piece and you have a story told to you, but you've got a little more flexibility in this world now as you're exploring the Zeta Halo array on which the game is set. Okay. And now there's multiplayer with this as well that a lot of people are excited about. Yeah. And Halo's always had multiplayer, but what 343 Industries and Microsoft are doing differently is multiplayer is free to play. And so like Fortnite and like Call of Duty and so many of these multiplayer shooter games these days, you can play Halo's multiplayer without playing the campaign, without spending any money. And so the multiplayer we've had for a couple of weeks now, it was a surprise release a few weeks ago, and they are completely different experiences that you can access through the same um, part of the Halo that you have downloaded on your console. But the other thing to keep in mind is Halo Infinite is included in your subscription to Xbox Game Pass. So... If you can actually be playing Halo Infinite without spending any extra money on it, you can get a one-month Xbox Game Pass subscription for $12. You can play the multiplayer for free. So for $12, you can have the full Halo Infinite experience on your Xbox console. So for a game like this, Blaine, how, ma- like how many hours uh, of gameplay would there be in the campaign? Could you, could you finish it in a month? You could easily finish it in a month. Okay. Uh, and and you don't even have to play 12 hours a day every day right. to finish it in a month. Um, like I said, I, I haven't played this through yet. I'm expecting that the campaign is probably 12 to 16 hours of play time because it's an open world environment with side missions that are available to you. You can spend as much time as you want in that world. Um, it's easily playable within a month if you spend some time with it. But I do, I'm very excited to get hands on with this myself. I'm, I'm, I've been waiting for this for a while. Halo is the game that got me back into gaming and I'm really excited to finish my fight. Yeah, I think that's true for so many people. I remember when the original came out, everybody was playing it. And the multiplayer versus the campaign thing is an interesting thing to me because with that original Halo, I remember my friends thinking it was like, we don't even care about the campaign. We just want to play multiplayer. And my perception, at least as sort of like a a laissez-faire gamer, is that Things have really changed now and companies have really invested into storylines and campaigns and stuff. And now it's almost like the multiplayer is just secondary just to to give you something extra. Do you feel like one is more important than the other? Well, there are some 
um, companies and developers that have gambled on only multiplayer. Call of Duty did that a right. couple of years ago. They only had multiplayer. Battlefield 2042 is only multiplayer. And then you've got other games that are deciding to double down on, on the story mode. The truth is, I think there are audiences for both. And I think that Xbox and 343 is wise to do both here but they're doing them in ways that make sense. So multiplayer in the free to play, and then the campaign being sort of a standalone thing for those people who really want that that narrative. Okay, very cool. So Halo Infinite is finally out today. Uh, what else is happening? Well, Bungie, which actually created the Halo franchise 20 years ago, is celebrating a 30th anniversary of its own, and to celebrate, uh, they have released a whole bunch of new things for Destiny 2, which is the game that they are supporting right now. So you can get a bunch of free elements and activities just as part of the 30th anniversary event, but you can also pay for an anniversary pack to get access to Grasp of Avarice, which is a new dungeon that takes place in the Cosmodrome, part of sort of future Earth. And this dungeon is inspired by the Loot Cave, which is something that was part of the original Destiny game, where it was a bit of a glitch in the game where enemies kept spawning over and over again, and you could sit there and take them all out and then collect all kinds of loot mm -hmm. that was finally patched in destiny but this new grasp of avarice is a bit of an homage to that okay very cool and i'm interested in this the lego star wars game that is only going to be available on apple arcade yeah apple arcade is a great little um, opportunity because all of the titles on Apple Arcade are family friendly. They're all playable offline. You don't have to have an internet connection to play them, although you do need to download. You get a monthly subscription to Apple Arcade for five bucks. And this comes from Gameloft and it's it's got that same Lego Star Wars charm. Castaways is an action adventure that's got some multiplayer aspects to it. Um, you get to create your own minifig to be a character and as a part of that, you get to play through some of Star Wars' memorable environments like Tatooine and Endor and the Death Star and even some of the set pieces that made those movies so memorable. It's really interesting to me to sort of take a step back and look at three of the biggest most powerful brands in in media in entertainment Lego Star Wars and Apple coming together to provide uh, a product for us and like you say it's family friendly and I I was doubtful when Apple said that they were going to get into gaming and stuff but it sounds like you feel like it's working for them Well it's certainly it, it's a certain kind of gaming I mean you're going to compare the Apple Arcade games to Halo, well, those are very different experiences. Totally, yeah. But there is absolutely a place for the games that are available from Apple Arcade. And the thing about Apple Arcade titles, you play them on your phone, on your tablet, on your Apple TV, and you can pick up on any device. So they go with you on whatever device you want them on. Yeah, they've certainly got the ecosystem down, don't they? And the Lego video games thing, I absolutely love it. It's so cool to see that spin on, like, we, I love Star Wars, but now it's like Lego Star Wars. It just adds this layer. It, I feel like it makes it, like you say, more family friendly, more like approachable uh, for for my daughter. Uh, Brennan has a question uh, about Halo. Brennan. All right, Blaine. I want to know this because as a guy who's played Halo for basically my whole life, 
I always ask people this question. What's your favorite weapon in multiplayer? Because for me, I love the sniper rifle. I'm not even good at it, but I just love the sniper rifle because I like to find the little nooks and crannies in those maps and just kind of hide away and then surprise somebody in the distance. What's your favorite weapon to use? I, I like the shotguns because I am not good in the multiplayer. I am usually running around like a chicken with its head cut off. And when I get close to something, a shotgun gives me the most damage at close range. The the shotguns are always really, really good in Halo. I've got one friend who just doesn't even look. Uh, he, he looks down at the ground and then he just fires it and looks up at the same time. And it seems to be so good in that game. And uh, the other question I'd have for you based on based on your Halo experiences is, are you a guy that plays Slayer all the time or do you like the different modes? Like this Halo Infinite multiplayer experience has a lot of different modes. Yeah, I'll, again, I play Halo for the story. So I'm not great on the multiplayer, but I think that the story that has been woven over 20 years is one of the best epic tales ever. And that's why I'm looking forward to Time with Infinite. Blaine Kylo is here. We're talking about the technological world. And I am so excited to hear about this uh, used cell phone, Canadian used cell phone company. But first, tell me about this LG uh, speaker. Because everywhere I went this summer, somebody had one of these little speakers with one of the handles clipped to their backpack or in their like bicycle basket or just wherever they went, there was music everywhere and it sounded great. And now LG's got a new one. Yeah. The X-Boom 360, it's, it's not little. This is not something that you're going to clip to your backpack. Okay. It, it is, um, well, it's, it's like the size of a, of a computer, um, tower to be honest. Oh, which wow. Is why it's got a handle. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a 360 speaker. So it actually pumps sound out kind of in a sphere from the tweeters and woofers and everything. Um, and it's also got an led light, so you can use it practically if you're out in the backyard and it's dark outside, or you can turn it on and configure the light for your party purposes, whatever you want to do. Uh, a pretty cool little portable speaker and it is portable. It's wireless. It's got a, a rechargeable battery in it. It's connects by Bluetooth. So you can kind of take it anywhere with you. You want to go. That's one of the new speakers that LG's got. The other one is for the gamers in the family. The Ultra Gear GP9 is effectively a little sound bar that's built to sit underneath your monitor. And it gives you that same 3D audio experience that you get from a home theater sound bar. But what the GP9 does different from other speakers that you're going to connect to your computer is it's got technology that can really isolate your voice from the speaker sound so you can actually chat using the speaker without having to set up a separate mic or connect a headset so it does a really good job of picking up your voice and making sure that it's your voice that gets communicated to your fire team and not all of the ambient sound in your room. Very cool. Okay, now tell me about this Canadian company that is selling used smartphones as an opportunity to uh, break out of this cycle of consume, consume, consume. 
Yeah, it's Mobile Clinic. They're a Canadian company, and I'm sure that you've seen them because they're across the country. They're in all of the malls that you can think of in all the major city centers, and they provide repair services to mobile devices like smartphones and tablets. But they're also selling certified pre-owned smartphones. They take them through like a 30-point inspection to certify them before they resell them. And what this means, especially these days, because it can be hard to find new cell phones there with chip shortages and things like that, mm -hmm. there's, there's a bit of a shortage of these things. So you can go to Mobile Clinic online or to one of their stores. You can get an iPhone 11 or a Galaxy S10 Plus for as little as 500 bucks. And like I said, these things have been uh, certified. They're classified as either good, very good, or like new. You pay more for the better quality. And they all come with a one-year warranty. Mobile Clinic will certify them being good for at least a year after you buy them. So it's an alternative to new. You can get something that is pre-owned and still works great. And how do you think Apple feels about people reselling their old iPhones? Yeah, you know, I think Apple, I don't think Apple's too concerned about that, to be huh, honest. Okay. They're, they're actually doing it themselves. You can actually trade your old iPhone in to upgrade to a new one. And Apple actually does a bit of reselling themselves. So I know that, that we tend to think that Apple and Samsung and the other companies are all trying to sell us things all the time and get us to upgrade all the time. And I think that there's some truth to that, but I don't think that they're out there trying to get us to discard phones after a year so that they can sell us a new one. I believe, actually, that they have a conscience around that, and they would like people to get as much life out of the devices as they can and then find a good home for them if you're ready to move on to something better. Yeah, I know that I'm uh, about ready to upgrade and I'm actually for the first time ever made a decision not to. I think my phone is just fine and I'm just gonna keep using it because A, I don't need to spend any more money and B, I don't need to just keep consuming, consuming, consuming. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.